little bit about me. So I, I'm from Columbus, grew up down there, and my wife uh, Jenna and I actually just moved up here to Cleveland in August to, to Bay Village. And so um, us, me and Jenna and our two-year-old daughter Bailey are, are over there on, on the east side of Bay. Um, I've been told that's the ghetto side of Bay, so please pray for me. It's a dangerous place over there. Um, but so we have, and we have another uh, girl on the way uh, at the end of May, so also pray for me for kid number two, and we're about to enter into that, you know, phase. But uh, excited, very excited about that. But uh, I coach football at Bay. I was just talking to Finn about that, and I've, I love football. It's always been a part of my life, and uh, I, I was thinking about, you know, I wanted to tell a story about one of my, you know, early football memories. And so uh, I remember it was freshman year. Uh, it's a big deal. You know, some of you guys, like, remember freshman sports. If you see, like, the varsity coach around, it's, you want to impress them. And, and so I, I'm playing in, like, my first freshman game, and the, the varsity coach is going to be there. I catch wind of this. So I'm like, okay, I'm laying it all out on the line. This is, this is my Super Bowl. I need to impress this man, and, which is funny. Like, you want to impress this guy. He's, his name was Coach Cross, um, like Cross Cross, and he was, he was very old, and he was very round, almost perfectly circular, like very wide man, and, and he, had, like, he had played football, you know, back in like the, the 50s or 60s when there was like no rules of trying to protect people's health at all, like not even the helmets. It's just like they're battered with these beaten down men. And so his knees were bow-legged, like literally like this. Like every, he was always like standing with his knees like this and he would literally walk, he would tip himself like each way and like waddle his way like down the hall. So like you knew he was coming. <laughs> it was one of those deals. And so I see him like waddling his way out to the field for this freshman game, and I'm like, okay, it's on. Like, I, I, gotta, I gotta play well. And so um, I literally am like, I'm not coming off the field. I'm, I'm gonna play offense and defense and like all, all the special teams. Like any, I'm not coming off the field. I want him to see like I'm tough, I'm big, like I can do this. And so I'm out there, and I, I played running back. So like the quarterback gets the snap, running back runs with the ball. So the quarterback just will turn and like hand it back. And so I, I'm getting the ball quite a bit. I, I like, funny thing about me is I have been like, this size since I was like like 13. <laughs> so like freshman football was like the peak of my <laughs> abilities. And so I was just getting the ball over and over and over again. And it was, it was really fun, but I was getting really tired. Like playing football is pretty exhausting. If any of you guys have done it, it's, it's you know, you're getting tackled, you're getting back up, you're getting tackled. Like, and so I'm getting pretty, pretty worn down. And our quarterback, also like annoying thing about him, his name was Dan Bull. If you ever meet him, you can tell him I said this, you won't meet him. But he, he was like, an extra, like an, a very try-hard like hander offer. Like he would turn and like, he wouldn't just like hand the ball, he would like swing the ball into my stomach like super hard. And so I felt like I was like in a boxing match where I'm like, I'd be excited that I'm getting the ball, but I'm like, I know I'm gonna have to get like punched in the stomach with a football every time I did. So that's like, again, I'm, I'm tired, and I'm just getting like smacked in the stomach with the football over and over again. And another thing about me that you guys don't know is I have a notoriously weak stomach. I don't do well on roller coasters, uh, any like thing. I, I just don't have a, I have a weak stomach. So now, now I feel like we're on that level. You guys know that about me. And so again, I'm, I'm tired. This game, I've been on the field the entire time. I keep getting slammed in the stomach with a football, so I'm getting worn down. It gets to the point where I, I'm in the huddle and I'm like, if I get another, if I get handed the ball on this play, I might, I might literally die. <laughs> I'm, I'm so exhausted. So I'm in the huddle and I'm literally like, please God, don't let it be to me. Please don't let it be handed off to me. And if sure enough, it is. It's like, okay, it's coming to me. I just, hopefully the handoff isn't as hard as it's been and I'll be okay. 
Sure enough, Dan Bowl turns and slams the ball right in my stomach and instantly just puked straight through the face mask right in front of me, just projectile right in front. And it was, a, it was an amazing sight for me as the ball carrier at this point because I'm like, oh my goodness, this is humiliating. The game kind of like stops for a second, but I look up and it's like Moses pouring the Red Sea. There is just a, a completely a lane to the end zone for me. And so I'm like looking around. I just like, what? no one blew a whistle or anything. So I just start going <laughs> and I'm running down the field. And it's like one of those things where the refs are like looking at each other like, is this kosher? This isn't sanitary. Like, why are we allowing this to happen? But I'm going and I'm getting, you know, I'm at like the 50 to the 40. I'm getting almost to the end zone. I'm at like the five yard line thinking about the score and like redeem this humiliating moment. Like at least I scored. And some kid comes from behind and tackles me like on the two yard line. So I'm like, I couldn't even say that I like scored. Like, oh, I was trying to do that. I wanted to get it. Like, I just looked like an idiot. And and that moment was funny to me because I'm like, one, I mean, it was just sad I didn't score. I created a whole lane to the end zone through my vomit. And two, the other thing, I'm like, what freshman football guy was so committed that he's like, I'm going to tackle that dude that just pukes all over himself and ran me down like 50 yards. I'm like, I guess he, he deserved that. He, he, he was working harder than I was. But the worst part about it, oh my gosh, was the next day um, at school, I see Coach Cross like waddling his way through the hallways and he sees me and I'm like, oh no, 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 it's going to be bad. And he comes over to me and goes, pedicord. That's, that's my last name. That was like a nickname. My last name is Pentacord. It's a weird name. But he's like, Pentacord? He goes, I played football for 18 years, which I, that also always confused me because I'm like, he didn't play in the NFL. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, four years of high school, maybe four years of college. Like, where is this other <laughs> decade of football that you played? Where is it kids? Play? I don't know. That's a whole nother time. But he's like, I played football for 18 years, and I never threw up on the field. And then he said this, and it, it cut, I still think about this. It cut me to the core. He goes, S-O-F-T, which that spells soft if you're following along. And I, I oh my gosh, I, I have never forgotten that moment because I was just like, I, I wanted to impress this guy so much, and I did the complete opposite. And it's like a feeling that stuck with me because I really think that if you've ever been there before, like, there are a few feelings worse than being misunderstood, right? That... If you've ever like been on a first date or something or you know met a friend for the first time and, and just like completely fumbled it and you're like oh my gosh why did I say that like why did I make that joke like they got a completely false picture of who I am like that's an awful feeling and, and you a lot of us carry that with us for forever because it's it stinks being misunderstood and uh, I want to talk tonight about a guy you might have heard of his name is Jesus um, if you haven't heard of him, you're in the right place. But he was a guy who was misunderstood all the time. And all the time. A lot of what is in this book is people not understanding who Jesus is. And we see it all the time today, that people have a hard time figuring out who is Jesus really. And the other thing about it, about that, what's so interesting about that, is that I would argue that there, there's no one that it's more important to accurately understand than Jesus. So he's incredibly misunderstood but it's incredibly important that we understand who he actually is. And so we're going to be in Mark 8, end of Mark 8, 27 through 38. And we're going to, this is a, one of those stories, people trying to figure out who is this Jesus guy. There's lots of them, but, but we'll read it all the way through, and then we're going to go back and kind of split it up into three chunks and talk about it that way. So I'm just going to read it, Mark 27, or Mark 8, 27 through 38. Here we go. It says, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. 
And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Okay, so this, again, you see what I'm saying here, that the, the, this, this, Jesus is kind of trying to get a pulse. Okay, what, what do people say? And then he turns to the disciples and he says, well, what about you, right? And, and then Peter says something that sparks a whole conversation <laughs> that we'll get into. But I want to go to the first part, just 27 through 30, just those three verses. Let's look at that right now. And in those three verses, Jesus asks two questions, right? And the first question is, who do people say that I am? It's, it's, like, it's one of those things where I'm like, at first you're like, okay, why? Why is Jesus asking what are people saying about him? Like, especially if you read Mark, like, he seems pretty disinterested in what like, the crowds think about him. But here he's like, what do people say? It's, and it's, it's not like a, uh, you know, insecure, like, what do people say about me? Do they like me? Or no? It's like, no, he's not like that. <laughs> he's kind of like, hey, he's, he's up to something, as you can see. But he says, what do people say? And, and it's interesting. The disciples say what? They say, uh, John the Baptist, they say Elijah, that one of the prophets, and, and it's funny, those answers to me all point to, so there's something similar, right? That they might not know exactly who Jesus is, but they know that there's something different about him, or they know that there's something about him that's, that's holy, you could say, right? You look at prophets, these men who are, are connected to God, John the Baptist, this very holy, godly man, Elijah, this prophet, right? They know, we don't know exactly who he is, but there's some, he has something to do with God, <laughs> right? Which is not too far off from what people might say today, right? Like, Jesus, he's something churchy. Like, that's kind of what is happening here. They're saying that. Um, and you know what? This is an aside, but it's interesting to me that, you know, Jesus asked, what do people say about me? And none of the answers the disciples come back with are, oh, people say that you're kind of lame, or people say that you're boring, or you talk too long, or, you know, that, that people say, that, like, it's, no one says, like, you're boring, or you're, you know, uninteresting, or irrelevant, and for me, like, it's, it's funny that sometimes we can open the Bible, right? We can read these stories about Jesus, this guy who's doing amazing things. He's bringing people to life who are dead, restoring sight to the blind, like, literally amazing things, walking on water, right? And we somehow make that guy boring and uninteresting and irrelevant. And for me, that's a challenge of, like, no one who actually spent time with Jesus thought that. So it's not Jesus that's the problem when I don't want to pick up my Bible and read it. And it's not Jesus that's not cool enough or relevant enough 
when I, you know, don't see him that way. And it, to me, it's such a challenge. No one who was ever around him ever said anything that was, he was boring. And so I hope that we can always remind ourselves when we open the scriptures, right, that this, this man, some, there was something about him that even when you couldn't figure it out, it, it, was, it drew people in. It was fascinating. So again, he asked, what do people say? Something godly, right? He's some sort of holy guy. They can't really figure it out. But then Jesus turns to who, right? He turns to the disciples, and he says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And I'm like, That's, that is such a good picture of, man, how deeply personal Jesus really is, right? That it's not just, okay, what does everybody think? Okay, we got a good, you know, check of, like, the status quo. He turns to his disciples. He's like, what do you say about who I am? And it's a simple question, but I, this is going to sound like I'm over-exaggerating, but I really don't think I am. I think the answer to that question who do you say that Jesus is? I think that's the most important question in the entire world. Um, A.W. Tozer says it like this. He says, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. I'll say it one more time. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. That this question, like what, you're, what you say to the question of who is Jesus to you will determine everything about your life, that, that what, what you want the most, right? What, what do you want to do with your life? What do you treasure? Um, how do you look at money? How do you look at, you know, relationships? It's all impacted by who you think Jesus is. And the other thing that's super unique about that is everyone has to answer that question at some point. Like you have to, even if you don't care, like you, who you think Jesus is is going to have an effect on your life. And that's unique. Like, who you think Olivia Rodrigo is does not have any impact on your life. Or who you think, like, Jose Ramirez is, like, which he just resigned, praise the Lord. But who you think he is, like, that has no bearing on your life. But who you think Jesus is, that has a huge bearing on your life. And everyone has to answer that question. And so Peter, Peter steps up to the plate. Again, we, if you've read about Peter, you know, this is not surprising that he's the first one to step up. And he's like, you're the Messiah, and if you end the story right there, it's like, well, what a good little story that Jesus asks who he is, and Peter's like, you're, you're the dude, you're the Christ. And Jesus is like, good job, guys, let's keep going. But the story doesn't end there, right? That Peter only gets to live in the limelight for like a minute. And then right after that, this, he's, he's probably feeling good about himself, and Jesus is like, okay, good job, Pete, way to go. Right after that, Jesus, it's that he kind of, he plainly lays out, okay, yeah, I am the Messiah, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. And he, he, it's, I love that it says, and he said it plainly. Sometimes, you know, we, we read the Bible, right, and Jesus a lot of times talks in parables or uses analogies, and, or, and sometimes, you know, I'm like, Jesus, just say it plainly. Just, just lay it out. And this is a time where he does that, right? He's like, this is, okay, cool, you guys get it? Well, here's the deal. And he says it plainly, and it just, no one understands. Like, no, and P Peter does not get it, right? And Peter, not only does he not get it, but he pulls Jesus aside, and, and he kind of lays into him. He's like, you're, you're way off, Jesus. This is, that is not what you're supposed to do. Kind of, again, you, Peter's gutsy. <laughs> like, he's like, I know you're the Messiah, and I'm going to yell at you and tell you how wrong you are. I'm like, the dude's got guts. But he says, and it's interesting to me, you're like, well, why? How, why does Peter do that? And it's not just that he's got guts, but Peter, you know, ever since he was a little boy, he'd grown up hearing about what the Messiah is, right? And, and in his head, what the Messiah is going to do is he's going to come, and he's going to be this military leader, and he's going to free, free his people. He's, he's going to conquer people. He's going to be this, this guy who, who literally just comes and defeats everybody. And so for Peter to hear Jesus say, I'm the Messiah, 
and then say what he says after that is it's not only to him wrong, but it, it goes against everything he's ever thought about who the Messiah is. It, it challenges Peter to the very core. Um, and you know what's interesting about that is he has these preconceived notions of what the Messiah is, and he, those are so strong that when Jesus, who's like, I am the Messiah, lays out who he is, Peter rejects that because of how strong his preconceived notions are. And, and it's interesting that when I say the word Jesus or say the name Jesus, something comes to mind, right? It may, maybe it's, you know, you think about church or you think about like, oh, that's what my dad says when he hits his hand with a hammer. Like something pops in your head. But, and so we all have those preconceived notions that we all have like, okay, this is who Jesus is. Whether we, if, whether we know what we actually know, like if it's, is this legit or not, something pops into everyone's head. And for Peter, he holds so strongly to that that when Jesus is literally laying it out plainly, he, he rejects that. that. And you see that today, that we, we have, we, and Jesus lays it out too. He says, you are more, what? He says, you are more concerned with the things of, of man than the things of God. You've set your mind on the things of, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And that's the key, right? That because Peter, he's like, I'm setting, my, what the Messiah is going to do is what I want him to do. What, what man has told me he's going to do. And when God says that's not actually what I'm planning on, he, he rejects that. And for us too, when we're so set on what we think that, we, that we're not going to even listen to what God's trying to do, we miss the whole thing. And, and, and Jesus, again, he says, get behind me, Satan. What a strong thing to say to somebody. I'm like, no one's ever said that to me, but that would be hard to bounce back in a friendship if someone's ever said that to you. Um, but I will say this, like this is another kind of aside, but... It's interesting to me that, again, Peter, he really drops the ball here. He does that a lot, but he drops the ball here. He's like, he, he rebukes Jesus for saying, literally saying the gospel. And Jesus rebukes him, and he, he's harsh to him, but he doesn't expel him from his presence, right? He doesn't say, well, you're not a disciple anymore. Like, that, that's, you know, you've offended me so deeply. Be gone. It, it's, and that's such a, I think that's a good picture of, like, there's something beautiful about having relationships, you know, these godly friendships, maybe it's people you're sitting next to, that you're, you're trying to follow Jesus together, and to have some sort of element of being able to rebuke one another, being able to say, hey, you know, hey, I love you, but here's what, here's what God's way is, and you veered off the course a little bit. Like, get, let's get back on together. To be able to say those kind of things to each other and to rebuke one another and still be friends it's hugely important. It's hugely important because it shows that you can, you can disagree or you can, you can challenge one another and still be friends. And I, I think that's really cool that, that Peter and Jesus have that kind of friendship, really, that, that Peter sticks, sticks around. He, he doesn't storm off because he doesn't think Jesus cares about him. There's a love there that they can have that kind of relationship. I think that's pretty cool. So after this, so he says, okay, you have, you, Jesus rebukes Peter. He says, you're off. And then he kind of calls everybody back to him, right? He's like, I got to say something. And he says something pretty interesting. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. And Jesus is it's pretty amazing. He says, not only, not only am I not going to fit into your box of what the Messiah is, your preconceived notion, but everyone who follows me is going to do exactly what I said I'm going to do. You're, we're going to lay our lives down. You're going to suffer. We're going to be rejected. And it's this challenge that, again, like, it's challenging to the people, right? 
And ultimately, again, you, if you break this down you know, to, to the bare bones, like what happens here is Jesus is asked who Peter thinks he is, and Peter says something that it, Peter thinks he knows, right? He thinks he knows it. He says, you're the Messiah. And once Jesus says you know, that his, the, his, the, Peter's idea of what the Messiah is is proven to be wrong, it's interesting to me that Jesus says, well, not, I'm not going to fit into what you think I'm supposed to be. I'm not going to fit into what your preconceived notion is, but actually, you're going to fit into what I think you should be. It's, and that it's, Jesus does not bend to our expectations of him, but rather we are bent into the likeness of Jesus. And he says, you're going to follow me, and you're going to do exactly what I have done. And it's interesting to me that that, that he, take, he takes this moment, again, to show that to find life, again, you have to follow Jesus. He's like, follow me and you'll find life, but you'll find it by laying your life down. Um, and he asks us to do nothing that he hasn't done or isn't planning to do himself. And so if you take nothing else from tonight, I think, again, I meant what I said earlier, that that question of who is Jesus, who is Jesus to you, is the most important question in the world. And everybody, everybody has to answer it. And so ask yourself, maybe, maybe you've never actually thought about that. If, who, who is Jesus to you, really? Maybe you, you would just say the Messiah like Peter did, but not know what that actually means. And so think about that tonight. Who is Jesus? It's the most important thing in the world, and it's incredibly important that we understand who Jesus actually is.